have a seat if you haven't already. I'll leave it. Uh, it's good, good to be in church. And as uh, Pastor Michelle said, uh, we are continuing in uh, Daniel this morning. Can we thank the team? What a great way to start uh, church. I love starting with uh, praise and worship. And today uh, we are looking in Daniel chapter 3 and actually looking a little bit at the topic of worship today. And uh, we're going to pick up in the story, uh, we're going to look at the whole of chapter 3 today. We're going to break it down in, into some kind of, I thought about reading it all and I thought I wanted you to stay. And I also realized that my reading is not that flash. So I'm going to break it down in small bits just so I can read. Uh, so you'll have to bear with me, but it will be on the screens in case I don't read so well, and you can, uh, you, can, you can pick it up for yourself. But Daniel chapter three, we'll start here. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the stirrups, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provisional officers to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, I feel like we could have combined that the second time, <laughs> just a note, Daniel, and all other provisional officers assembled for the dedication of the image that Kim Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Now, to me, this is a little bit of a familiar picture even today, isn't it? When we build something that we value or we think is important, or even when we open a new road, doesn't it appear that kind of like everybody who is anybody is there to like cut the ribbon? And then there's like a plaque of stone that goes down and goes, this was opened by this important person on this day at this time. There seems to be something about the things that we build in our lives, the things that we consider to be big and important. I built a house like eight years ago. It's still not finished. So when it is, I'm going to invite some politicians to come and cut the ribbon uh, out the front and, uh, you know, dedicate uh, my house. But I'm just waiting till I kind of finished all the little jobs uh, that kind of need to be done. And then all the jobs now over the last eight years that have accumulated uh, during that time. But, you know, you can see even here that, that obviously what he has built here, this idol that he has built, this giant uh, idol, it's important to him. He's got everybody, he's summoned all the leaders to, to come and and. and get everyone to gather around to, to have a look at this thing that he has built. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, I don't even know what this next one is, I'm gonna ask John Oakley after the service, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, I feel like I could play the pipe, like the PVC pipe, all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music. Is John, am I saying that right? Do you even know what that is? I was asking you, don't ask me, isn't it like this? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. Therefore, as soon as they heard these sounds, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You get this picture of everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from. You've got to remember that there's people in captivity, there's people from different, they speak different languages, different places. But the king says, it doesn't matter who you are, how important you are, where you've come from, you will bow down and worship this idol. 
And in fact, if you're having any kind of second thoughts about that, let me, let me tell you what's going to happen if you don't. I'm going to throw you into a furnace, into a fire, and you will die. So whenever you hear the music, whenever you hear the sound, whenever you see this thing, you know now it's time to bow down and worship this idol. Now, if you come from a culture where you have many gods and, and you know, you, as a lot of these people did, and we heard about that over the last few weeks, they, there are many gods that they worship. They believed in many gods, kind of the more, the more gods with the more power, kind of the better at times. In fact, the king was seen as a bit of a god, so you would do whatever he said. And so if he said, bow and worship me, you would bow out of reverence and respect and worship the king. But the problem is in this situation that is, if you are a follower of Christ, or you know, God, if you, Yahweh, the one God, the only God, the one true God, the God that says, don't have any other idols other than me, this presents a problem. Because God says you can, can't bow to anything else, you can only bow to me. So for some people, this is not a problem. Like, you'd be like, almost like king, calm down, I'll just do it. There's no need to threaten with the furnace thing, I'll just do it. But for those who are just kind of questioning that and going, hey, I feel like there's only one God that I'm meant to. Now there's a real consequence that if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. So it, prevent, it presents the people with this very question. Who do you worship? Because these guys worshipped many gods. They worshipped many things. And were willing to do what they were told. But for the followers of God, the question of who do you worship is actually really important. Because we're called to only worship God. And why this is relevant today, you know what? You don't walk outside in the, in the piazza or out on the oval out there and, you know, Pastor Dean hasn't built in a gold statue of LeBron that he's going to tell everyone that they have to bow down to. And if they don't, you're out. In fact, actually out, out the back, it's not really a baptistry, it's a furnace. And so if you don't worship LeBron, you're going into the furnace and you ain't coming out. <laughs> Thank God we're not, he's not given that kind of, you know, call in his life where he wants people to do that but the reality for these people is it's a similar kind of thing bow and worship or don't so who do you worship here who are you going to worship what are you going to do and today that's relevant for us not because it's the same picture but you know what there are plenty of things that when we see them with our eyes they light up if i see an apple logo well my eyes light up new phone new macbook you know i wanted to buy another ipad the other day because the exact same one as mine now comes with a pen I thought maybe I'll just buy the pen to write on my thing. And they're like, oh no, that one's not compatible. So you have to buy a whole new iPad, then buy the pen. I'm like, but even to me, that seems like bad stewardship. So I stuck with the one I had. You know, you can hear jingles on TV ads and immediately they'll capture your attention. There are all these things in our world, all these things that can be important to us, all these things that we see with our eyes, that we hear with our ears, that are, uh, that are pleasing to our senses. And we may not bow down in that, that physical picture, but they are there to kind of take away our emphasis that we put on God. You know, we don't have this giant statue standing right in front of us, but there is a whole heap of stuff in our world that is designed to make us want it, that it's pleasing to our senses. See, it's no surprise to me that he used the music and not just said, oh, when you see it, bow down, or at four o'clock every day, you're gonna bow down. But in fact, when you hear things, it's gonna make you wanna bow down to this. When you see it, you're going to know. And there are all these things in our world that the idea is that it will diminish the picture of who God is in our lives and replace it with something more important. Now, you don't need to know me for more than probably five minutes before you figure out that I am what most people will call a sports guy. I like sports. I like multiple sports. I like watching as much sport as humanly possible. In fact, one time I sat down and watched a sport called tractor pull. 
I didn't even know what it was. But it was on ESPN. I was like, I'm gonna get a load, I'm gonna get a load of this. And it was literally dudes running with tractors strapped to their back. Tractor pull, it's a thing. God bless American sports. I'll kind of watch any sport. I love it. I love playing it, I love watching it. But one day I was at the football and, and I was there and I love the football as much as kind of, you know, anybody I know. I love going, I love watching it. But I was leaving and I can't remember if my team won or lost. I, I kind of put it into the back of my memory, so I think they lost. But I was leaving, probably grumpy at this stage. And I noticed this girl dressed in kind of the opposition colours. So immediately I was like, oh, can I like trip her over? No, I wasn't. <laughs> you beat my team. But she was crying and I was thinking, why are you crying if your team like kind of won? That's a bit... You're like really crying. And her hair was like spray painted, the colors of the, the team, and her face was like painted, and she's wearing all the merchandise from head to toe. And she's talking to her friend, and she goes, people don't understand it. They think it's just a game. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of with you here for a moment. Like, it's a bit more like a game. And she's like, this is my whole life. And she starts crying. And her friend's like, you can see her friend's a bit like, she goes, I travel everywhere, and I watch them play. This is in my entire life. And people just diminish it to a game. And I kid you not, she was so upset and so passionate. But her whole life, she was a part of that club's cheer squad. And she literally every weekend will go wherever the team is. It's kind of a cool thing, but a bit far. Imagine how much money you'd have to spend. But no matter where they go, no matter where they play, she sits behind the goals with a bunch of other people with their faces painted and they're dressed head to toe in merch, yelling, normally screaming obscenities at other teams. They're that into it. But the passion and the enthusiasm in her face that day, I will not forget. It was literally her entire life. I'm like, what do you do from like September to March? <laughs> like if it's your whole life. I'm like, at least I can jump on the Premier League for a bit and, you know, watch another sport or the cricket's on. I'm like, what do you do for six months if nine months of the year this is your whole life? But she literally lived for the football. Like her emotion rise and falls on how well that team kind of did. And to me, that seems so kind of far, like, and again, I love sports, but it seems so far from the most important thing in life. Like normally one or two days after a loss, I come good, you know, not the whole week. Kind of got other things to do for, for the six months of the year, there's no sport on. But it's funny how something as crazy as sport can just become the biggest thing in someone else's life. It is the biggest thing. She uses her resources to fly around the country to watch 22 players kind of run around and chase a ball. And it consumes her entire life. And when I look at that picture, as crazy as that sounds, that should actually be our expression of God in our life. Our walk with Jesus in our life. Like, does it mean so much to us that we would get emotional about it at times in our life? That we would spend our resources and our money and our things around following Christ, that our time spent, would it be around following God and our worship and our expression of God? Would anybody else know in our worlds that we actually have a relationship with Jesus and that we follow God and that we're a part of this church community? Or is it just a tiny little small thing that's a part of our life? Her life was undeniable that she was a fan of this football club. To the point where she's proudly crying, this is my whole life. You know, there are so many things in this world that we make big that will allow us to make God small. You know, I believe a true picture of worship 
is that God is made big through our worship. And actually everything else becomes small. And it's not about being crazy and running through the streets going, I believe in Jesus and it's my whole life. People probably look at you like I looked at that girl. Like, calm down. No, you don't understand. Yep, you're right, I don't. But the reality is, is God the thing that you worship in your life? Is it the thing that you think about more than anything else? Is he actually your entire life? Because these guys are given a choice that we're going to read about a little bit later on. That really they have to work out if God is their whole life or not. And for us every day, I believe that we're painted with that same picture. What are the things that we're going to make big? Now, following sport is not bad. Having hobbies is not bad. Family is not bad. Work is not. None of these things are bad. But where I believe it becomes a problem is when we have it in the place of God. And God calls that idolatry. You know, he wants to give us good things in our lives. He gives us all these good things that so often rather than seeing them as good things from God, I can look at them and go, these are good things that I should pursue and follow and idolize. And God kind of goes to the side. But the call from God in this and what we see in this picture is that he needs to be our whole life. He needs to be the biggest thing. And as he becomes the biggest thing, everything else gains perspective. And yes, it becomes a bit smaller and a bit less important. But I believe it gives us the perspective that he calls us to have. Well, we're going to keep reading here and pick it up in, in verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Sucking up. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone, everyone who hears the sound of the horn... I'm going to bypass that bit. And all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thanks to Michelle Gomez, I'll always hear Bendigo, and Bendigo Bank will follow. That's your fault. <laughs> Who pays attention to you, your majesty? They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So these three guys have found themselves in a position of leadership. They're trusted over the affairs and the provinces of the land. They're, they're not just people living there. They're not just foreigners. They're now leaders that the king have gone. We recognize who you are. We recognize that you're good people. Now you're in charge of what's going on. So furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, said instruments, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You know, there's, there's two kind of important words I see in here that keep getting repeated throughout this chapter. And it's serve and it's bow. It's serve and it's bow. He said, you don't serve any of my gods. And to make it worse, you won't even bow to the statue that everybody else bows to. When we think about what worship is and what our expression of worship is, I feel like they do fall into these two categories. Worship is not just the songs we're going to sing after this message, once on a Sunday. It's not even whacking on the latest Hillsong album, as good as it is, in your car, and singing along where no one can hear you. Or however you choose to do that. It's not just, just kind of praying and saying God is good. They are moments where I believe we do bow. 
And there are moments in our lives where we're forced to make choices between what we're going to make big and what we're going to make small. And they are moments where we bow and go, yes, God, I recognize and I worship you. And that is an expression. But there is this other word here, serve. You do not serve my gods. You know, an expression of worship for us. And, and so often, even growing up, I used to just hear the word worship and I always would attribute it to singing. I don't know if anyone else is like that. I still kind of do that. My first go-to when I hear worship is to sing. But it's also to serve God. It plays out in the things that we do, in the actions that we have. These guys were leaders and time and time again, they're promoted and decisions are made about what's going to happen to them. And we saw it with Daniel as well and the things that he chose to do and the decisions that he made. All of them was to serve God first and do something else second. They would bow to God and go, yes, God, we recognize who you are. We recognize your greatness. We recognize your largeness. We recognize who you are and the position you should take in our lives. But we're not just going to say it now. We're actually going to do something about it. And so the way they would conduct themselves, the disciplines that they would have around their lives, the way they lived in every facet pointed towards serving God. You know, we worship God in the way that we serve, in the way that we do things. And when I think about my life, and I kind of did this, a little bit this week, and I thought about all the things in my life that are important to me, and how would I tell? You know, I, I went on to ANZ and went through my bank statement to see all the things I spend kind of money on. Now, there's a lot of kind of like food items in there, a few clothing items, so we'll call them survival. <laughs> and then I look, and there's things like, you know, there's like going to the, going to the footy, there's, there's my giving to church, there's, there's all the things that kind of I readily spend my money on. Easily one really fast expression to see what am I invested in, it's where all my money's going. I like getting my kind of 115 tab at the end of the week. I like seeing how many coffees I've drunk. But you know, honestly, sometimes it's gone, it, it can be an expense, it's really high, this is how I justify, oh, it's, it's just me like getting around people and buying them coffee. Normally it has to be real high for that to happen. But you know, is, is, is my life kind of represented, is there generosity represented in my life? Do people know that I serve a generous God because I'm generous with what I have and what I do? Is there things that I'm buying that are investing into my spiritual life? We had a women's conference last, was that last weekend? A week feels like a long time. But a bunch of women going, you know, I'll just invest in my own spiritual walk. Over a weekend, I'm going to give up my time. I'm going to give up some money. I'm going to come along to this thing and allow someone to invest back in me. You know, so often we'll, go, we'll pay to go to a concert. All those people who went to Celine Dion last night that aren't here this morning. But no, <laughs> they'll be here tonight, no doubt. But at the blink of an eye, we'll invest in entertainment. We'll invest in all these things. And, and these are the things that I see when I look in my own life. How much TV do I watch compared to how much do I read the Bible? How much do I encourage other people and go out of my way to be a blessing to other people because that's what God's called me to do with my life? Or how much of it is just me kind of recluding in what we serve and how we do it will reflect our worship to God. Otherwise, it's just singing a song. Otherwise, it's just saying, yeah, I believe in God. But the way that people will truly know is not just from us saying it, it's by how we do it. And then we need to serve in our lives. We need to go to work the same way we, some of us would serve at church. We serve at church the same way that we would put energy and excellence into our job. We need to make sure that we do the things in our lives that allow us to make God big so others can see him because of the things that we do and the things, yes, that we say. 
And I believe it's a daily decision to bow before God and then choose to serve him with our actions. The, the story uh, continues here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I reckon this is one of like the most like intense but cool kind of like comebacks of all time. Because it's like both brutal and polite. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And then he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than usual. I did not know they had thermostats back then. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. You look at this story, the question that it poses for me is that how do we respond when the heat's turned up? You know, sometimes it's real easy in our Christian walks to worship God, to come to church. We don't live in a place where if we're told, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, there's a furnace you could be thrown into or you could lose your life. And I thank God for that because that is some people's reality. But for all of us at some point, there will become a moment where following God becomes the unpopular choice where it puts a little bit of heat on you, where it, where it makes you feel uncomfortable, where there's the, the ability to compromise. See, these guys, I reckon, easily could have justified in their head, oh, we'll just do it, because he's gonna kill us if we don't. So then where does our influence for God span if we don't do it? Because he'll kill us. So maybe we'll just bow and then we'll say sorry later. But they realize that a true worship of God can't have compromise in it. Growing up, one of the, the lessons I was able to learn uh, so clearly, and I, and I remember this day is I, I worked for, just, a, just worked at a, you know, had a casual job, worked at a company, kind of had a management position there, and I was doing that. And I had a boss who kind of, the way you could get in with him is if like you were just one of the boys. Like if you did what he did, uh, if you could gain his approval, if he saw you as loyal, he would kind of promote you. And so I would just kind of do whatever I could to kind of make the dude happy so that, you know, he would look after me and like it was just a smart play. So I was like, if I'm nice to him, he'll be nice to me. I know kind of like, he likes a pump up, you know, so, you know, all these things. But people also knew uh, I went to church. And so the more I kind of hung out with this, and that's really all they knew about me at that stage, I went to church, so he must be a Christian, didn't know them awfully well, hadn't been there that long. But what they, they realized was that I, I, I wanted to be different to kind of the, the rest of the world through my faith. They would have known that. And that if you're a Christian, there's certain things that make you different. I remember sitting in this, in this room one day and, you know, I'd kind of, you know, people, you know, he wasn't the most popular person, so if you're popular with him, we either needed to be popular with the boss or unpopular with the staff. And I feel like I was kind of floating this line where I was like making some friends, but kind of wanting to look after my job. And this girl came and she was supposed to do a job for him. It was selling some stuff and she hadn't done a very good job of it. And he just began to like tee off at her. So he's like saying everything he could. He was like being mean to her, like making fun of her. And I was sitting like, this is so uncomfortable. Like, can I just wheel out on my chair or something and just get out of here? And then he kind of turned to me as if like to get me to kind of join in. And this girl was actually my friend, one of the few kind of friends I'd made there. And in this one moment, I'm like, if I don't do something here, he's going to see me as kind of being disloyal. But then I'm like, I totally disagree with what's happening here. 
Like, what do I do? He's kind of turned and like in whatever he's saying, he's like, yeah, you know. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, what do I do? And fortunately, I, I just kind of said, hey, man, I reckon that could, I reckon that might be enough. Like, do you reckon we should like leave it now? I think that's, I think she feels bad enough about her whole life, not just the fact that she didn't sell those things. Like, she's not feeling real good right now. Like, do you reckon we could leave it alone? And fortunately for that girl and unfortunately for me, he turned around and just like, instead of unloading on her, began to unload on me. And I was like, hey, like, how does this work? She like, literally, she's like, thanks, and like takes off. <laughs> I'm like, loyalty, I tell you, there's no loyalty. And, and he like, honestly, over the top, he went like so mad that he went home. <laughs> and I didn't see him for like a couple of days and he was like, I can't believe you would be so disloyal to me. And I was like, man, I just... Honestly, I just need to level with you. I don't think that's the way we're called to treat people. He's like, oh, here comes the Christian spill and stuff. And he just kept going. I was like, we need to find another guy. And like eventually things kind of smoothed over with him. But you know what it said to everybody else that worked there was that there would be something different about the way I lived my life. But really, I didn't really care about that as much as I cared about the fact that hopefully that they would see that people who follow God are a little bit different to everyone else. And some of the boys like, why did you just, why did you, like, why did you start a fight with him? That's dumb. And I was like, the, the alternative wasn't kind of any better. But I believe we're faced with moments like this all the time that kind of allow us to go, hey, if you don't compromise here in this area, it's going to cost you something. If you don't compromise here in this area in your work or in your family, if you don't cheat here or do this there, it's not going to be good for you. It's going to end up a bad result here. It's going to end up some people not liking you. It's going to end up putting you in a worse position, but putting God in a better position. What, would, what do we choose? And I know so many times in my life, I would choose what's most comfortable for me, what's kind of going to make things the best for me, and justify it in, in, in any way I can. Oh, God wants me to have a good life, so he would want me to kind of do this. But deep down, I'm like, no, he wouldn't. Deep down, that, that goes against the grain of what it looks like to bow and serve God. And it's in those moments where the heat turns up that it really shows what our character is. And the more we live this life of worship to God, the more it doesn't become an us versus them and Christians in the world and we're better than everyone else and, or, you know, we're less sinful or, you know, they have a better life, a more fun life than what we, all these things that we compare. God becomes the big thing. And hopefully what people see in us and through us is a picture of who God is. And that he matters to us. And that we won't compromise in any other area because we want to follow God. Now we're going to get that wrong at times. I know I get it wrong all the time. But my heart and my hope would be when the heat gets really turned up on my life, that I would turn and worship God and run from everything else. We'll continue uh, this part of the story here. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the Starops, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. 
You know, what we see here is that sometimes being a follower of Christ might land you in the fire. Following God, making those decisions, choosing to serve and worship Him may fully end up like you feel like you're in the fence. You know what? He's there with us. You know, we always have that picture of, God, would you save us? Bad things can't happen to good people. We need, we need you just to come and pull us out. You know, Judith Smith uses that great illustration of the helicopter Jesus. You know, we want him to come down and kind of pull us out of whatever we're going through and, and take off and just bail us out. He doesn't bail us out, but he is right there with us. You know, you can read this story and go, well, the moral of this story is no matter what happens to me, God will make it all okay. He won't allow me to get burnt. He won't allow me to get hurt. He won't, he won't allow any pain or, or things to go wrong. Or, or, you know, if I just make decisions for him, everything's gonna be good. You know what? These guys entered that furnace not knowing whether they would live or die. There was no guarantee. There was no kind of written scripture that said, hey, don't worry about it. If the king tries to throw you in the furnace, you know what, plan B, I'll pull you out. In fact, there was a fourth man walking around in there with them to save and deliver them. But they said, even, I love that, that even if he decides that he's not gonna save us, it's not worth bowing to this to be alive. He walks with us all the way. He's in there. When you gotta make those hard decisions, when it doesn't go your way, when, when it seems like it's easier to compromise because it, it leads you to the hard place to stand true and worship God. He's there with you. We don't do it alone, he's there with us. He won't always pull us out, but he'll walk with us. And he'll take all those things and turn it and make it into his plans. And as long as we continue to walk with him, doesn't mean that bad things won't happen, doesn't mean that it won't be hard, but he's right there with you. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, he is present in our worship. He walks with us. This story wraps up like this. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than, and here it is again, serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego may be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. See, the king's got some like learning and growing to do. <laughs> Just be like, their God's like powerful and good. Just leave it at that. Don't have to cut people up, man. Don't have to put them in the furnace. But hey, he's on a journey. He's worshiping first. He's got to get the serving bit second. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. See these guys? Not only does it kind of work out for them in this moment, but because of their character, they are promoted again. God takes them from where they are and promotes them, gives them more influence, more authority, continues to shape them. And I love this because when we, what we worship will determine who we become. See, when we worship God, He determines who we become. When He is the biggest thing and everything else is small, who determines what we do and where we go? It's God, isn't it? When we serve him, does that dictate our actions? Yes, it does, because we're doing what he wants us to do. And sometimes it'll feel like, why are we in the furnace? But sometimes the furnace is a part of shaping who we are and who we're becoming. I read these two quotes uh, during the week, and I might invite the team uh, to come up and join us. We're gonna, we're gonna spend some time worshiping in a moment. And this first one, uh, it was attributed to Steve Jobs. I'm not actually sure that he said it, so don't go and, and think I've said this is about Steve Jobs, but a rich guy wrote this, Richard Branson actually posted it. And it says this, it says, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life was an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. 
At this moment, lying sick on a bed, recalling my whole life, I realized that all the recognition and wealth I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. In darkness, I look at the green lights from the life supporting machines and hear the humming mechanical sounds. I can feel the breath of God of death drawing closer. Now I know when we have accumulated sufficient wealth to last our lifetime, we should pursue other matters that are unrelated to wealth. Should be something that is more important. Perhaps relationships, perhaps art, perhaps a dream from younger days. Non-stop pursuing of wealth will only turn a person into a twisted being just like me. God gave us the senses to let us feel the love in everyone's heart and not the illusions brought about by wealth. The wealth I have won in my life, I cannot bring with me. What I can bring is only the memories precipitated by love. That is the true riches which will follow you, accompany you and give you strength and light to go on. You know, I know that's speaking just to wealth, but isn't it true that there are all things we can pursue in our lives? None of it we can take with us. The only thing we can take with us is the work that God does through us. We can't take our money. We can't take our houses. We can't take our cars. And none of those things are wrong. But they are not what we are called to serve or bow down to or worship. You know, there's an, another quote that I, I want to share as well. And this one, um, Billy Graham said this, but it actually comes from D.I. Moody. And it says this. It says, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. You know, I see two pictures here. One that is a life of someone who is shaped by wealth, by chasing things, by serving many gods. And at the end gets to the point and realizes that I can't take any of this with me. My life actually feels a little bit pointless and meaningless. I actually have a lifetime's worth of money and nothing to do with it. And then I see a man like Billy Graham. And people can say what they want, but whenever anyone talks about Billy Graham, don't they talk about how he just wanted to send the message of God to people. A man who made decisions to serve God his entire life, to go to crazy places to share the gospel. He gave his entire life to serving and worshiping our great God. And when it comes to the very end, isn't one just a great picture of hope compared to the other? And when I look at that, it leaves me with this picture, that who we become, we're talking about serving God, worshiping God, who we become ultimately should reveal the greatness of God. If He is shaping who we are and we are worshiping and we are serving and we are giving Him everything with our lives, ultimately that should reveal the greatness of God. This story wraps up here with the king, unable to explain what happened. He turned up the furnace seven times, made it seven times hotter, just threw him straight in there. Yet God was so powerful that nothing happened. And what response is he left with? Well, great is their God. No one can say anything against his greatness. But imagine they compromised early on and went, oh no, we can't go to the furnace. We'll just justify a little shortcut here. Or we'll just, we'll just have a, another little God to go with our big God. That story would never have unfolded that way. And their lives would have gone rapidly different. But because of their worship of God, they're bowing before Him, they're serving of Him. The story pans out completely different. You know, that's a great picture for us today as people that live in this world. Are we prepared to not compromise and make God the greatest thing of all? 
the biggest thing in our lives, the thing we bow to, the thing we serve our whole lives towards, living for Him. Because He is worthy of that. And I look at my life and go, every day, that's a decision. But every day, there's probably a little bit of compromise that needs to just be pushed out the door. There's a little bit of resetting that goes, God, am I gonna make you the head today? Are you the biggest thing in my life today? Have I started my day going, God, I'm living for you and serving you today? Does that pour out in every decision? And if I'm honest, no, it doesn't. But my heart and my intention will be that it is. You know, we're gonna sing some songs to God and you know, this is another expression of worship. And I love this because we all get to gather together to proclaim the greatness of our God. And you know, you might come in here a little bit sure about where God is, a little bit unsure about His, His greatness. You know what, these, are, these songs are just great ways to help us articulate sometimes what we can't. Someone's kind of got a glimpse of the greatness of God and put it into a song for us. And so we get to stand together and worship Him. You know, worship, I believe, should always go crazy in the church because we always should have something to declare about God. It's not about whether we like the tune or don't like the tune. It's not about whether, you know, it's our preference or, or we're having a good day or, or the, the singer's awesome. Lucky for you today, the singers are awesome, so that won't be a battle for you. But the reality is we should all be going, God, you're the biggest thing in my world, and so I'm here to kind of sing about it, and shout about it and declare your goodness. But in these moments, we're gonna sing this song. We haven't sung this before, but it's called Jesus Over Everything. And it's a really simple song that talks about exactly that, putting Jesus over everything else. That there is a whole bunch of stuff in our world, but I'm gonna put Jesus first and everything else second. And so my heart today would be as we sing this and we get to know this song, it's real simple, so it won't take long. But it would almost become this prayer in our heart, know Jesus over everything. That when we wake up in the morning, if you know Jesus over everything else, know Jesus over that situation, Jesus over that circumstance, Jesus over my work, Jesus over my family. Because when He is the biggest, He will take care of everything else. You might be here today and feel like, you know what, I'm just sitting in the furnace. Well, you know what, today as we worship, my hope would be that you would feel His presence here and go, He's right there with me. And there is nothing that I can face or go through that He is not right there with me, shaping who I am. And at some point, what you go through, if you hang in there with Him, will shape your life and reveal the greatness of God in you. And so today, I would love to just spend some time putting everything else to one side and worshiping our great God, Jesus over everything. We worship you first, we serve you first. For all of our days, we put you first. Come on, why don't we stand? I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna, we're gonna worship. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for stories that we read, like this in Daniel, where we can see that when we serve you and when we put you first, that no matter what we face and what we go through, you are there with us. God, every day, may you help us to put to one side all the things that should remain small and keep you big in our life. Lord, in this moment, may there be nothing greater in this room than our desire and hunger to worship you. And so God, as we sing these words, as we, as, we, as we worship you, as we enter into your presence, God, may you be with us today. Lord, for those who feel like they're in the furnace, Lord, may they know your presence is with them. God, for those of us that need to make some decisions to make some things smaller, and to make you larger, may we do that today. But most of all, God, may we just lift up your name and worship you. God, we praise you and we honor you this morning, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Come on, why don't we worship God?